Hey guys, what's up? It is week 346. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, all that jazz. It's probably gone a little bit after, I think. But uh, before we hop into this, I want to talk a little bit about the new release of August Underground's Penance. So this is the third of the August Underground trilogy, and I'm not going to review the whole product. I had a little part in this. I actually did uh, kind of a roundtable where I talked to Fred, Shelby, Jeremy Cruz, Logan, the editor, and Ryan Logston, a friend of mine and a big fan of August Underground's Penance. So that was a lot of fun. It's on here. There's a bunch of other features on here as well. On Earth Films is putting this out along with the other first two films are out as well and I think there will be a box set with more features and everything else later on down the line but yeah this thing is loaded and I popped it in and I checked it out I watched some of the movie and, and was messing around with the disc and everything like that and it looks a lot better I know people the, the appeal to August Underground is not looking great right but uh, the way this one was made was a bit different they wanted it as if the killers had just found a camera and just started using it and it was updated for the time it was made 2007 around that time so uh, basically the new features on here there's original, there's a, a, um, a ridiculous amount of original new features on here. So new original stereo mix, new commentary by FX artist Jeremy Cruz, producer Shelby Vogel, director Fred Vogel, and Ultraviolet uh, ma- Magazine's art editor. New commentary by director Fred Vogel and editor Logan Tallman. Commentary by Toteg, commentary by director Fred Vogel. New editing August Underground's Penance, an interview with co-editor Logan Tallman. New, the most disturbing scene. Fred breaks down the most disturbing scene, the Christmas scene. And this is a Christmas movie, according to Fred. Um, then we have... Superfan Rob's Underground Experience. Uh, Superfan Rob is a, is a massive superfan, and he talks a little bit about his uh, scene in this film. Disembodied, the Behind the Bile documentary. That's about 58 minutes. I think it's a vintage. Commentary toe tag on Disemboweled. Then we have a new Zoe Rose Smith interviews Fred Vogel. Now she is uh, Zoe. Um, she has uh, um, Zoe, Zoe with the shotgun. She has a YouTube channel, does extreme films. Pretty cool person. Good interview. Uh, and then we have a new Voyage to Perdition, an interview with Fred Vogel, and that is by uh, Chris Severed from Severed. Cinema, who runs pretty much one of the biggest underground horror movie websites. That's also a very good interview. Check that out. Then, of course, we have the new Dave Parker Roundtable with Fred Vogel, Jeremy Cruz, Shelby Vogel, uh, Logan Tallman, Ryan Logson. New Stephen Byro interviews Jeremy Cruz. This is kind of breaking down just him talking to him about the special effects and scenes and everything like that. Deleted scenes, and then we have extended scenes. Papa Pill, the Murderer's Back music video. Rug, the Locust music video. New extended photo gallery. New teaser outtakes and trailers. So, yeah, this is probably my favorite of the trilogy. Um, I've always been a big fan of this one. Kind of shows the end of the, the uh, you know, the killers and everything like that. And how Fred explains it in the special features. He explains it as a mountain. You're going up in August underground the original you you reach the peak of insanity and mortem and then you're going down here and you see the the end of it all but if you're a fan of this check it out all three of them were released this year uh first wide release of any of these movies they were really just sold by toe tag for the longest time anyways uh august underground's penance uh great film great release uh, i highly suggest you check it out so we're going to hop into the reviews now. And the first one up is from 88 Films. This is a 1991 movie from Hong Kong. And this is The Blue Jean Monster. Now, I had seen this one before for 91. I watched it. Um, the, the star in this movie is Shing uh, uh, Feng On. I've seen this guy in a bunch of stuff. He's actually in The Untold Story, um, which you guys will know in The Untold Story. He is the guy that essentially beats the shit out of Anthony Wong, right? 
in, in the the prison. He's in a slew of things. So this is basically, you know, in the 87, we had the kind of crazy thing, RoboCop, right? And in RoboCop, essentially, it created this kind of super cop kind of subgenre, right? Where you have, you know, uh, zombie cop, dead heat as well, you know, zombie cop, you know, demon cop, psycho cop, maniac cop. We have all these kind of crazy cops and RoboCop, maniac cop are kind of early on. So the Blue Jean Monster is essentially about a cop who gets special powers. So in the very beginning, there's a group of ruthless slugs who are carrying out a bank robbery. And uh, it's a great scene, a really violent scene. Actually, probably the best scene in the entire movie is the opening bank robbery where somebody loses an entire arm in gory detail. Um, they chase uh, the, the cop hero, the hero here, chases these bad guys to this kind of dump, this kind of place that looks like the end of RoboCop, actually. And they mess him up. He gets this thing dropped on him. They think he's dead. And uh, some sort of supernatural thing occurs. There's a lightning, of course, how you reanimate any corpse. And these weird kind of circumstances set. He has a wife, and she's she's uh, pregnant on the way with a child. And their brother, I think, or the brother-in-law lives with them. So what happens is he's trying to hide the fact that he has become this blue gene monster. That he is this kind of zombie cop who's out for revenge from his wife. And that's a lot of the comedy hijinks. A lot of these Hong Kong movies are, you know, pretty much comedies and everything. And there's a huge comedy element in that. And they play a lot of these gay jokes of course you know that his wife starts thinking he's gay so there's all these silliness and then eventually the film kind of builds up to a climax where he's going to face off against the baddies the baddies are pretty memorable pretty good um it, it ends in a good old warehouse you know and there's there's plenty of action in there and everything like that overall it's a pretty solid movie it's kind of a fun film um it ends a little bit more downbeat than one might expect but uh blue jean monster it's nice to see it on blu-ray I, I didn't really expect this one to hit blu-ray i didn't know how popular it was i mean i do enjoy the film myself but uh yeah it, it's a nice release it looks good and sounds good and there are some features on here um we have the original cantonese mono with english subtitles man-made monster interview with assistant director sam leone still gallery original hong kong trailer versatile cover art all that so if you're a fan of any of these actors or this film ivan lao um he did a bunch of other ones too and i i, I know i messed up i think he did i want to say he did daughters of darkness daughter of darkness uh, i mix up a lot of these hong kong directors but this is a pretty solid film nice release from 88 films okay the next one is from 88 films as well and this is the inspector wears skirts now, this was the start of a series. This one was released in, what, the uh, 88. And then there was three other sequels, actually, kind of close, closely by. And I know that 88 Films is putting out the second one. But this has some big names in here, of course. Cynthia Rothrock is the one that I think would stand out to a lot of people here. And she's uh, in the very opening of this one. So this movie has a really amazing opening as well. That's kind of a pattern with Hong Kong movies. They have a great opening. They catch your attention right there. And then they, they kind of slow down a bit, and then they pick up at the very end. They always end on a big uh, note and, and uh, open on a big note. So what happens is we have this film production being shot and we have these kind of people guarding it and uh, they think that it's all part of the act but these terrorists kind of break in and start kind of causing all these problems and Cynthia Rothrock is there and our lead of her, the inspector, you know, who is going to train all these girls in the future is there as well and they kind of stop this this crazy kind of terrorist attack and save some lives. But uh, it's, it's pretty entertaining. It's really full of stunts and high diving stuff. Really good stuff. Then we kind of slow down and we realize what we want here is that basically one of the officers is like you know if we had a lot of women there they just handled this really well we could kind of create an all-woman squad and that's why we have the inspector wear skirts so essentially they agree upon it and we have these kind of dueling groups here a man group and a woman group so we have battle of the sexes a lot of humor ensues as you would with the hong kong film so we have all uh, a pretty good group of girls here uh, women and men and they're all kind of a lot of more comical and they develop all the characters but of course a lot of it is about unity and, and standing together and fighting and everything like that and coming together to create this ultimate squad and eventually like stripes or any of these other movies this ultimate squad is going to have to go on a mission of their own right and 
at the very end, we kind of have this like kidnapping diamond heist kind of deal going on. And there's an actor from the previous film in here. Blue Jean Monster is in it himself as one of the goons. The goons are good in here. The ending's really solid. Now, I, I would say the Inspector Wears Skirts is really good. It's fun, but it, they never reach. It never reaches the highs of like Yes Ma'am with Cynthia Rothrock and Michelle, you know, Yun. It's not as good as those uh, Hong Kong movies, but it's a pretty solid one. And there's some funny moments. A huge scene in a roller rink, which is like, it's like there's a lot of good gags in there and it takes forever. It's like, it's like a 25 minute scene. It's like the scene in the deer hunter, the marriage scene, the wedding scene. But as far as the features are concerned, I'm comparing those scenes, by the way. That's funny. Um, we have an audio commentary by Frank Jin shooting. And that's a good commentary. He talks a little bit about the movie and uh, the comedy and everything and who everybody is shooting her shot interview with Cynthia Rothrock. The director wears titles. The director wears pants. Sorry. Interview with director Wilson Chin. Top Squad. English opening and closing titles. Hong Kong trailer. English trailer. Steel's Gallery. Reversible cover with artwork by Sean Longmore. And original HK poster art. Yeah. Uh, it looks good. It sounds good. There's a lot of good laughs. A lot of good action. Overall, I would recommend this one. Um, if you're like into training and cop movies, this is a pretty good one. Uh, Inspector wears skirts. This is kind of an interesting one here. I really kind of forgot about this remake. This was actually made in 2016, but I don't think it got a wide release until just now from Synapse Films. This is the 4K of Blood Feast. This is directed by Marcel's Walls, who I think I've seen a couple of his independent movies. La Pite de Gore, I think he's a French director. And, you know, I was a little hot and cold on that. I didn't love it. Um, but this is a bigger step up, I think, in like uh, in, in like budget and everything. So the original, of course, Blood Feast from the early 60s, Herschel Gordon-Lewis Gore Classic, uh, made the video nasties list, but was pretty much one of the, you know, catalyst for gore in films, maybe along with Coffin Joe, but I think that Herschel Gordon-Lewis is considered the godfather of gore, of, rightfully so, of course, even though I'm a Fulci guy, I will admit the, the the original OG of Godfather of Gore was Herschel Gordon-Lewis. So he made these gore films, he made a trilogy, of course, along with 2080 X and Color Me Blood Red, and he made a bunch of really low-budget, nasty, gory movies that are pretty schlocky for the most part. Um, there's some standouts, of course, but yeah, so Blood Feast has kind of like semi-been remade over the years. So Mardi Gras Massacre is considered a semi-remake. Blood Cult, the SOV is considered a semi-remake. Blood Diner by Jackie Kong is considered a partial remake. So all these movies are partially remakes of Blood Feast. So um, then there was a sequel later on in uh, early 2000s, which I still have not watched for some reason, which was directed by Herschel Gordon-Lewis as well, I believe, or at least produced by him. So we have this one in 2016 and they're going to take it a serious approach here. So um, I got to admit, I got to say, what is this? Richard Russler is in here and uh, um, Caroline Caroline Williams. So kind of some horror royalty. Richard Russell was in Vamp, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Weird Science, Jacob's Wife. He's a really solid, kind of underrated actor. It's nice seeing him get work. Well, you know, he's been working, um, probably, I don't know if he'd never stop, but he's been Jacob's Wife and he's in this. So it's nice to see him doing more modern films. Caroline Williams was in that movie a couple years back, 10 to Midnight, of course. I think 10 minutes till midnight. She was a DJ and she's also in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. She's Stretch. Good actress as well. Solid in this. And those two are probably the best performances in the film. So this is kind of a strange one because it is a film made in France, or it's, it's a French film. I think it's made in France and a, and a couple other different places here. But the director's French. So the plot is, of course, Ramsey. Um, and, and Russell Russell plays a good Ramsey. It's a good casting remake instead of, what was his name, Mal? Mal, uh, I can't think of his name. I don't want to say it's Mal Arnold. It is Mal Arnold, I think, was the original uh, Ramsey's. So basically, he opens this kind of retro diner in France um, and with his wife, Caroline Williams, and their daughters. They're going to school. So they do it to kind of pay for the school. They're struggling financially at midnight. He's kind of a night watchman at a museum as well. So we're tying all this together, right? He also takes some medication for some things like that. Uh, the stress is getting to it. Um, 
So essentially what happens is he forgets, he dumps his medicine on accident down the sink while he's doing the hospital. Somebody kind of approaches him, Ishtar, right? And tells him about the blood feast and seduces him. So over time, without his medicine and slowly losing his grip on reality, he starts to kill people. And, of course, eat them. And he's going to prepare the... Egyptian feast from the original movie. Um, and over years, you know what? And over time, I think I've grown an affinity for Blood Feast. Everybody knows that I'm it. Everybody makes a joke. It's like, oh, Dave hates Orchard Gore and Lujani. I respect the shit out of Orchard Gore and Lewis. I just really hate Wizard of Gore and a couple other ones. Okay. Forgive me, Wizard of Gore sucks. But uh, but as far as the remake of Blood Feast is concerned, it's a, it's kind of a strange uh, remake to do, right? I mean, it's been remade in a lot of ways, and instead of like updating it in that kind of weird like shellacky campy thing, I, you know, because that was like not purposely done. It's just a low budget movie, so it's really kind of crappy, but it's just got its charm to it. Or making it like um, Blood Diner and silly, they they go really serious. They make it try to make it as gritty as they can. And then you know, in 2016, a lot of the movies just were kind of sat- desaturated of color. They didn't have much color to them. They're kind of drained to look kind of gray. And I hate the look of that. I'm not gonna lie. I hate the look. It's just a product of its time. There's some stingers that you hear that are very much products of their time, like the like you're just like all oh, these all these stingers that everybody had the the thing for. So that's a product of its time as well. Not enough to condemn the movie or anything like that. Um, and some of the side acting, I wouldn't. I would say the main group was pretty good like i said rustler's good williams is good the daughter's all right some of the cop is okay and then like some of the friends not all of them just some of them are really terrible i don't want to point finger point out and individual actors or actresses but there's some are just garbage they're just not very good they're not actors and there's some of the characters too like a lot of the friend characters are written as just these like one-dimensional childish characters that look way too old to be concerned about silly things like i have a crush on you and and like i should just all sorts of stuff like that that's not very well written i mean it's not really intended to be that's not really what this movie's about but it would have helped a little bit um it's really just kind of being about the gore and the downward spiral of um ramses and that's kind of what we have here there's a, a couple decent kills there's some really just poor exposition writing like writing that just it gets you one scene and another like somebody's car breaks down and they just wander into the restaurant and like you want a blow job and you're like this is not writing this is just like to kill as many kids but the movie's pretty fairly played straight so it's just like i don't know what's happening here like that kind of stuff is just like a little sloppy a little shitty but it's just also at the same time you're looking at the original you're like are we really like what, what kind of standard are we holding this to you know what i'm saying like i don't know what but so as far as the special effects are concerned the gore effects and stuff they're pretty solid uh, it doesn't have the same charm as the original whatever you would call that kind of charm that the original blood feast has but it has some sort of i guess you know gore that i think people will enjoy and i said russell is good and the ending the twist ending i kind of like i kind of like that they're just like yeah that, that's what would happen probably right kind of got you kind of get what you deserve on that aspect overall i think it's all right I don't think it's an amazing masterpiece. I think it's interesting that it even exists, to be honest. Um, and I've seen a lot worse remakes, especially if something of this caliber of a remake like that. Um, overall, I like Ritual Rustler. Um, I think that the 4K it looks is pretty solid for what it is. I mean, like I said, I'm not a particular fan of how the film looks itself, but the 4K looks good, sounds good. I just don't like the draining of the color, typically. But that's very much a product of its time. Overall, it's all right, you know. Um, there is some nudity uh, here and there. I believe that Ishtar is nude in the film, if I'm if I'm not uh, mistaken. And there's some decent gore. So, I mean, if you're looking for gore, look no more. Blood Feast remake, not as gory as you might think, but pretty gory nonetheless, especially the end scene. And I think the end scene's pretty pretty solid. So, yeah, as far as the features are concerned, original on cut version, Indiegogo promotional, teaser, trailer, making a featurette, Chili Con Curtis tonight, music video, Blood Feast, red cover premiere 2018, Blood Feast scare cam. So there we go here. Yeah, and it is in, uh, we have... Uh, do we have HDR? We have uh, Dolby Vision HDR10 compatible. So there we go. Check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. All right, next up, we're going to tackle this... K- 
Cushing Curiosities box set from Severn Films. Now I'm doing everything in the set except the Sherlock Holmes. I'm doing the Sherlock Holmes next week. It's five hours of Sherlock Holmes. I had no problem watching five hours of Sherlock Holmes TV stuff with Peter Cushing. It's just I have trouble cramming in this much Cushing on top of the, the her Sherlock Holmes. So that'll be next week. I don't want to just skim over everything completely. But this box set has Tender Dracula, Bloodsucker, Sherlock Holmes, The Man Who Finally Died, Suspect, and Cone of Silence. So yeah, this is an excellent set here. Here's how it unfolds. I'll show you in the video. And nice little booklet on there with Peter Cushing giving you a wink so we are going to start with cone of silence and this was made let me get that 1960 92 minutes long so this is a really interesting box set here now cushing doesn't star in every movie cushing is basically supporting in almost every one of these movies probably besides sherlock holmes for obvious reasons so the cone of silence is an interesting film here 1960 and what we have here is uh we have this pilot who's being put on trial right in the very beginning and uh who's who's the character actor george sanders is grilling this guy great performance by George Sanders. He pops up in stuff like uh, uh, The Girl from Rio and uh, a lot of classier movies and Psychomania, of course. So, uh, for you horror fans out there, what happens is this guy is being accused of causing a problem. He's a pilot and it's his responsibility why his co-pilot died. They're trying to blame him. Anyways, this guy's looking into it as well from the outside and he's talking to this who he thinks is a reporter. Turns out it's his daughter this pilot's daughter, and they start this kind of strange relationship, although he really shouldn't because he's a pilot. I mean, he's he works for the airport as well, kind of is suspecting, uh, inspecting pilots. Anyways, this guy gets basically free to go. He gets lifted of charges, and then not before long, something else happens, um, and, and it starts to build, and we start to suspect, is there something wrong with this guy? Is there something wrong with this model of plane? Is there something wrong with Peter Cushing? Peter Cushing is another pilot who takes a really deep interest in this pilot, and he starts to look into it himself, and there's points in this, just knowing Cushing and watching his history all his films, I start to suspect him of something that he possibly could not even be doing which is really good. So it, it becomes a kind of like, I, I wouldn't say like melodrama, it's not really that, it's kind of like this mystery, this kind of uh, this procedural to figure out what's wrong with this plane or what possibly could be happening and every time something happens different or dramatic you kind of go back and forth on what's happening overall this is a really solid one the court stuff is great george sanders is really good peter cushing is good in it too um i cushing is very like good and nervous and just overall solid and it shows you kind of like the stuff that not like letting everything known all the details can really kind of fuck you up and the ending is is just it's well done you know it's, it's a good ending it's a solid ending interesting ending for sure as far as the special features are concerned we have a high drama interview with actor michael craig newsreel of peter cushing and his miniature soldiers which is pretty funny um it illustrated and um this is also has the uh, cure uh, cushing curiosities on here so peter cushing on the funster show with paul carrington I think that's the one that's 12 minutes where they talk to him about horror movies and everything like that. And he's pretty old at the time, mentions him being deaf and not watching too many new horror movies. That had to be around the mid-80s. Uh, the Guardian interview with Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing interviewed by Tony Dalton, author of Terrence Fisher, Master of the Gothic. Cushing View, 1973 interview with Peter Cushing on Winstable um, and his late wife, Helen. Yeah, that's when he talks about, you know, his, his losing his wife and moving on to the afterlife. But overall, I listen to all these and hearing Cushing charm a crowd is the most adorable thing ever. Peter Cushing's talking to these people and they start to like, he's like talking to the crowd. He's like, oh, I don't love an audience, but I do love you guys. And he's just like, it's so charming. They go through his entire history. They talk to him a lot. They talked about him working with Laurel and Hardy, all sorts of things like that. So, I mean, if you're a Cushing fan, just hearing him talk and be candid was very nice. And just seeing him, you can hear the light in his voice 
talking to the audience and, and, and just kind of being interviewed. It was very nice. So that is Kona Silence. Strong, good movie and a lot of good features on this disc itself. Okay, next up is Suspect. And this one was made in 1960 as well. And this one actually I really enjoyed. This is a, a bizarre film here. And this is kind of like a, a science kind of film. Essentially, we have here Peter Cushing in this one. He plays this head scientist and he's trying to work on curing the plague. And right now in this time in this film, you know, it's right after World War II. There's a lot of death in 1960. So there's like plagues happening all around the world. He wants to clear the bubonic plague, I think, is what they're looking to do, research in that. And he has a, a couple younger scientists underneath him, one not too young, middle-aged, and then a younger woman who has a husband at home who is crippled from the war, Ian Bannon. Very good performance by him in this film. He's missing both of his arms. One of them is prosthetic. So he's at home. And she's starting kind of this affair with her colleague. So that kind of plays into it. So um, basically the, the department uh, tells them that we don't want you to figure this out because it could be dangerous if it gets into the hands of someone else. So they cancel it. And before long, Ian Bannon hears about it. And he is a manipulative person, a very jealous person. And he starts to play on this uh, middle-aged scientist that is dating his wife. And he starts to pull the strings. And this is when Donald Pleasant censors, who's this kind of suspicious newsman, is what he says. And he kind of is a drunk in this bar. He's really good in it. Parsons is what they call him. So uh, before long, they deploy uh, Thorley Walters, a hammer regular, great actor, in here to kind of figure out what the fuck is happening and if there's going to be a leak, if it's Cushing, all these kind of things. Cushing's solid in it. But I think Ian Bannon and, you know, Pleasant, and Thorley Walters are just as good. So, I mean, like, Ian Bannon probably steals the show. I think his performance is really strong. Overall, I think this is one of the better ones in the box set that I watched. I really liked it. Um, I thought it was great. And I love seeing Pleasance in here. And overall, it's, it's just this really solid, well-done thriller kind of espionage thing. Um, a Cold War kind of mass hysteria. And uh, it's good to see, like, how the backdrop of war has affected these people, you know, in the 60s. And it's a lot of those early 60s movies in Britain. A lot of the movies seem to have, like, some sort of aspect of talking about the war and how it's affected people. So there's an audio commentary of Jonathan Rigby, author of English Gothic and horror historian Kevin Lines on this. So, yeah, great stuff. Love this one. The next one is The Man Who Finally Died, and this is from 62. This is a longer film, and this stars Cushing, of course, but it also stars Stanley Baker. Now, Stanley Baker, I remember from uh, the one with the baboons, Sands of the One. He's great in that one. I, I can't think. He's in a couple other ones that I've seen him in, too, and he's always a solid actor. This time, I thought he was excellent in here. So this is a this is one of these crazy stories here that's like it feels straight out of like this elaborate thriller. So uh, essentially, what happens is um, Stanley Baker gets a call from a mysterious person that says your father is not dead um, or he just died. Or all these weird things like that. And so he ends up showing up here. He thinks his father died several years ago. It turns out that they're telling him he died uh, just recently. And they're burying him. And as he starts to dig deeper, nothing seems right. His sister-in-law or his ex, his, his, the person who's married to his dad, nothing seems right. The doctor who is in charge of it is Peter Cushing. He seems suspicious as shit. And there's a guy on the sidelines who starts to help him out to figure out what's going on claiming he's an insurance agent. So as he starts to dig deeper and go under the surface, he becomes almost like a man on a mission against the police, against everything. He's, he's, demanding graves be dug up and and everybody seems to be in on something that he's not until we have this big reveal and everything kind of gets flipped on its head as it should um stanley baker is a really solid lead in here i mean he's different he's not like your sure kind of guy um he, he's just kind of almost unhinged to be honest and i think it's a good performance uh peter cushing is always solid uh and overall this is a really good one um ends on a on a train i thought it was really good um yeah i i, I don't have too much to say without spoiling it but as the 
the further it goes on, the further the mystery gets more and more interesting. So as it, the, the more it progresses, the more interesting it gets. And this commentary is probably my favorite on here because you got Kim Newman, author of Anno Dracula, and Barry Forshaw, author of Brit Noir, and they're pretty funny. They're funny people. They talk a lot about all the actors in here and everything like that, and they just make a couple jokes. Not at the movie's expense, but just to be, because they're funny guys and they're intelligent and they can get away with it. But that is The Man Who Finally Died. Also, these both look really solid, black and white films, but yeah, great stuff. Next up here is a 1971 film, and this is uh, Bloodsuckers, a.k.a. Incense of the Damned. Now, this took me back. When I covered 1970, it was all vampires and cults and witches and all these kind of things like this, and this one is 1971. It's totally that. We got Patrick Mackney and Peter Cushing. Gotta love that. Love Patrick Mackney. Love Peter Cushing. And I think that uh, Cushing's role in this one is a little bit smaller, but solid. Decent decent role. Uh, Patrick Mackney, I think, is in it a little bit more. So this is a bizarre one. What we have here is this uh, young man. He's an intelligent man. He's with this woman, and he starts to kind of disappear. He's he's over in Europe, and he starts to see this other girl, and he kind of disappears. And like so all these people, his best friend, who seems to be kind of like a protege weird lover thing. I don't know. They're not lover, but whatever. It seems kind of more close than friends and his fiance are going to go over there and try to find him along with Patrick Mackney and some other people. So it turns out that he was kind of indoctrinated into this cult and they do not know how far gone he is. They just know that they got to get him out of it. Um, the one thing that really stands out about this movie is this is the most uncut version of it. I don't think that every version had this stuff early on because there is like a 15 to 20, not nah, exaggerating. I'd say at least eight minute orgy scene. Orgy psychedelic trip scene where genitals like male like dick slong is dropped and I was just like oh, 1971 it's crazy you see guys making out and like lots of women lots of nudity and I was just like that's pretty crazy for 1971 and considering the rest of the movie is fairly like standard like not so extreme that's that orgy scene that drug out stuff was very psychedelic psychological which is what i call a lot of these 70 71 early with stuff like that the mix of psychedelic mix of psychological because this guy's kind of being manipulated with under these drugs and everything obviously 1969 charles manson that carried on into all these movies and everything it's going to be a horror show right so yeah that's kind of what we have here um a lot of the movie takes place in the desert and kind of chasing this guy down and trying to stop everything like that and stop the head kind of of this cult um and, and you know it's pretty solid i like Macney. i've always liked him um i remember him from wax work and uh what the isn't he the beast must die i think he's in that one as well just a really solid overall good actor good british actor um i know he was in a lot of television shows when he in the avengers i believe the original show um cushing i think is a little underutilized in this one i don't think his his performance is super standout but uh you know he is kind of the overbearing kind of father type overall i think this is a good one um, not my favorite in the set, but good. And, and I was shocked by that. Like, like, not shocked. I was just surprised, like, in this, this time period in this movie. So, uh, they see that orgy in there. So, what we have here is audio commentary by Jonathan Rigby, author of English, Gothic, and horror historian Kevin Lyons. Stranger in the City, short film by Robert Hartford Davis. Daddy's Girl, interview with director Robert Hartford Davis. Daughter, Jean Hartford Davis. Bite Me, Tygon, Blood on a Budget. Um, that is kind of like the other, not Amicus, not Hammer Company. Um, author John Hamilton and Robert Hartford Davis. The Trip, interview with unaccredited drug orgy actress, a friend. And saw Pascal and Hydrophonics interview with sound recordist Tony Daw. Freedom Seeker title sequence. So there we go here. Um, yeah, this one's pretty solid. Short, uh, nudity, sexual stuff in here. Good stuff. I would recommend it. I should mention that Edward Woodward is in here as well. as kind of like this uh, from The Wicker Man and uh, 
Um, and, and he's a guy who just knows all about kind of witchcraft and uh, witch and vampires and all this thing. And he gives a whole big speech about it too. Of course, I can't. The main guy here, I think I can't remember who. Who the main guy is all right in here. He's like a cop. I mean, he's the least memorable out of everyone, and I don't mean that as an insult. There is this really long fight scene where um, the guy's best friend has to fight like these four guys that chase him, chase him down, and it's a pretty fun fight scene. But yeah, there's that too. Uh, anyways, Bloodsuckers, Incense of the Damned, pretty interesting stuff. Looks pretty good. I, I would recommend it if you're a fan of early 70s horror. It's kind of a must. And the last in the set, but certainly not the least, is 1974's Tender Dracula. And this is the weirdest movie of the set. I watched this one first, and I was just like, what in the fuck is this? So this is before Rocky Horror. Um, 74, and it has some of that charm because there's like people break out in musical numbers, and the musical numbers are some of the best part of the movie. So, oh boy, this one definitely requires another watch because I can't even grasp 100% what was happening. But so, I, I mean, I got what was happening, but. So Peter Cushing is an actor who works in a Dark Shadows type television program. He's done a bunch of these uh, vampire episodes, and it's a big it's a big hit. The producer wants him to continue. Peter Cushing does not. He wants to do a romantic television program. So essentially, it's up to two writers to go to his castle with their girlfriends and convince Peter Cushing that he wants to do the vampire show. They gotta kind of scare it into him, get him back into horror. So they're like trying to fake their deaths. They're doing all sorts of ridiculously weird things, and at the same time. You're just not sure if Cushing actually is a vampire. So this would be the only time Cushing ever got to play a vampire. And if you think of all the other actors like that, Price played it in Monster Club. Uh, Carradine played it in uh, the some of the Hammer, Universal Draculas. Pleasance played it in Monster Club. And then, uh, Cushing, of course, Lee played it a million times in all the Hammer Draculas and Franco's Draculas. So this is the only time that old uh, Cushing possibly got to play a vampire um so so it's just kind of fun that in that aspect and and right in the beginning he comes out and he starts screaming and i was just like this i was taken back i was like don't yell cushing and that people sometimes make the joke that cushing always gets it that he's like this grandpa type and they always just associate him with that but i was just shocked to see cushing scream i never see him scream like that in movies um it's kind of like when you watch corruption and you see him sweating strangling women you're like this is off-putting this is weird um but yeah so so you're watching like this and he just starts screaming and it was just kind of i taken it back a little bit but this is a weird bizarre fantasy comedy kind of almost like i don't even say broad but there's like benny hill kind of shit like people it just feels so weird and there is special effects that are good it's a kind of nice gothic look to it they break out in musical numbers um and it's just i think a little before it's time to be honest i i think that this was on to something and of course uh aldo Valley's in here too from suspiria and inferno and a slew of other ones uh, uh was that one it's only a game the Mondo macabro with david hemming she's in that as well but no this is an interesting film i don't know if i can give it a wholehearted recommend but i definitely will rewatch um and and i ull definitely look at it and study it and, and take interest in it so we have audio commentary jonathan rigby author of english gothic and horror historian kevin Lyons, love me tender dracula interview with director pierre grunstein mendez of speaking um interview with actor bernard mendez so yeah bizarre film goofy silly weird um really cool to see it finally I've heard about it, but I didn't know much about it. And then, of course, we'll get to the Sherlock Holmes next week. But that's the box set. The Cushing Curiosities, a nice booklet in here as well. That is insane. Gotta love Cushing, one of the all-time great horror actors. Um, top three, four, probably, honestly. Uh, but, yeah, great stuff. Okay, we're going to carry that Christmas spirit on. 
and I got a chance to pop in my 4K of Krampus. That's right, the naughty cut. I didn't notice any difference in the cut except a couple F-bombs, to be honest. But uh, this is my uh, Michael Doherty. Uh, this is directed in 2015. Michael Doherty, of course, did Trick or Treat, and he did uh, Godzilla, the new Godzilla, which I didn't check out. But I watched Trick or Treat several times and loved it, and I saw this in theaters when it came out, and I loved it. watched it a couple times since. I've not watched it in quite a long time, so I was like, hey, I want to get in the Christmas spirit. I'm going to pop in this 4K. And let me tell you this, Krampus holds up, man. This was so much fun. It was so good to revisit it. Kind of like came alive. I honestly kind of came alive watching it again, and I was just like, oh, that was so good. So essentially what we have here is it opens up with Black Friday shopping, people getting injured. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Just kind of showing that awful capitalistic spirit that Christmas has become, that Hallmark holiday, that idea that Americans and everyone in general just doesn't give a shit. They don't have hope. And so then we kind of cut to this family getting together for Christmas. Tony Collette is the mom. Adam Scott is the dad. And we have the in-laws coming in, David Koechner and his wife and all their kids. Um, so we got a great cast here. David Koechner, Tony Collette, Adam Scott are all really underrated people to me. Um, Koechner's been great in everything he's ever done. He's just fucking hilarious from Dirty Work to, to Anchorman to Krampus to everything. Uh, cheap, cheap thrills. Just a great actor. And Tony Collette. Get out of here, man. She's great. Um, all the way from Nightmare Alley and Hereditary and everything she does. So um, Adam Scott's been great at Art School Confidential. Hilarious scene. So everybody in this movie's great. And then we have a bunch of couple character actors, of course, the, the aunt. So it's this big family. Um, we have, obviously, we have this like kind of left-leaning and right-leaning families. We're going to have these conflict and everything like that. And the, honestly, everyone in the film seems kind of like an asshole. But what they do really well is everybody's an asshole, but I like everybody. I like every character. I don't... You you just kind of like them all. They're all assholes. You know who they are, but you kind of overall just like them. They're just funny. They remind... Some people say the stuff that you've heard other family members say, and you're just like, whatever. So they kind of barge in the house, big family, uh, uh, you know, six, and they're just, uh, you know, the whole kind of... Almost everybody's like kind of a semi-stereotype, but as it progresses, you get a little bit of layers, and you see who they are, and it's kind of stuff like that, and they start to bond over time. But... Um, the young kid is a really big Christmas kid, the son of Adam Scott and Tony Collette. He loves Christmas. And throughout this entire time, he's beginning to fight uh, because the Christmas spirit, all this kind of stuff like that. And nobody else is following it. So um, his grandma on his, his dad's side, Omni, who's a, has like, um, you know, uh, German, German. So she she's like, uh, wants him to deliver the letter to Santa Claus, send it. But instead he gets really upset and he rips it up. And this kind of curses his family. Um, soon enough, there's a giant snowstorm outside and, you know, when, uh, people don't have hope, Krampus comes. Krampus is like a folk kind of character. Um, he basically takes away bad kids and whatnot. So yeah, Krampus comes with his, his army of evil minions, elves and killer toys. And that's essentially the plot of the movie. Um, it's a lot of fun. The atmosphere is super thick and this 4k, it looked amazing. It looks so good. The Dolby Atmos was amazing. The, the Dolby Atmos mix was probably my favorite part. The the storm, everything, it just made me it made me jump. Everything was great in it, um, and it looks amazing because the, the the atmosphere. A lot of this is practical effects too. A lot more than people would suspect. Of course, the gingerbread men are not. But uh, as it progresses on, you know, people get picked off. There's a lot of like scary isolated scenes. Snowmen keep popping up every time somebody disappears, and you see like gremlins and elves behind them and stuff like that. There is some sort of like tremor under the snow. We have a uh, 
major awesome shout out to Demonic Toys here, um, which I absolutely loved. Um, but yeah, overall, the special effects, the characters, the way people are taken out and dispatched, and the ending. The ending is really great. Open to interpretation. I have my own. As Michael Doherty said, you know, take it as you want it. Uh, the more cynical you are, the more cynical the ending. But uh, yeah, so so it, it's just an excellent Christmas movie. The special effects are top-notch. The acting is top-notch. There's tons of funny lines uh, in here, especially from David Koechner. Uh, it's a little dry. Mine tastes great. Well, mine was a little dry. Just stuff like that. It's just it's just so funny, the bickering back and forth, all sorts of things like that. Well-developed characters you end up managing to like, even though they're jerks. You like them all. You're, you're worried about them. Um, and an adorable bulldog. So, I mean, like, as far as the features are concerned, uh, we have um, audio commentary director, co-writer Michael Doherty, and co-writers Tom Casey and Zach Shields. And then as far on the on the Blu-ray, we have the interviews. So Michael Doherty, this is new, visual specs artist Richard uh, Taylor, actors Alice Tolman, David Koechner, Emma Anthony, co-writer, co-producer Todd Casey, and more. Then we have audio commentary with Doherty, Todd Casey's X-Shield, alternate ending, deleted scenes, extended scenes, gag reel, Krampus comes alive, five-part featurette including Doherty's vision, the naughty ones meet the cast, Krampus and his minions, practical danger, and the inside snow globe production design, behind the scenes, at Weta Workshop, Krampus, still gallery, theatrical trailer, TV spots. One of the best Christmas horror movies ever made up there with Black Christmas, the OG, Christmas Evil, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Gremlins. It's up there. It's Cream of the Crop, baby. Cream of the Crop. Top five, probably, somewhere around there. That, just off the top of my head. I'm sure there's a few I'm just forgetting. But anyways, this and Scrooge are some of my all-time favorite Christmas movies and those other ones I named. Uh, yeah, great stuff. All right, so Vinegar Syndrome announced a new line, and uh, they're kind of doing some SOV stuff, some non-self-mastered uh, on film. And they started off with a banger. Um, I talked about Meet the Feebles a few weeks ago as one of my all-time favorite movies growing up, and this was another one here. I'm just a redneck zombie without you. Made in, like, Maryland, uh, Baltimore, kind of like, I think. No, it was Maryland and what? It was right on the border here. So this is redneck zombies. Redneck zombies. Nin late 80s, maybe shot in the mid-80s, released the late 80s from Troma. It was kind of a weird thing here. So, uh, yeah, it was distributed by Troma. Not originally made by Troma, but it's directed by Pyrakis, uh, Pyrakis Loons and some other people. It's a group of filmmakers here. So redneck zombies is one of my all-time favorites. Seeing this on Blu-ray made me very happy with a bunch of features. So, essentially, the plot is as follows um, a nuclear waste barrel ends up as some hillbilly still they drink it they turn to redneck zombies a group of people camping from the big city get attacked by them it's up to them to survive while the soldier tries to stop the zombie outbreak it's really goofy the humor is a precursor totally to South Park if you like Cannibal the Musical, if you like South Park kind of humor, that offensive, stupid, silly, goofy stuff that is also kind of clever and funny in a way, then then you probably like this. I really think that Redneck Zombies is a great precursor to um, the South Park boys. So uh, this was not shot on film. It was not shot on video exactly, but somewhere in between, like a special kind of tape, according to the director. I never knew that. I always just assumed SOV. Basically it is, but, you know, not... Not legitimately, if that makes any sense, whatnot. It's 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 shot analog. Let's just put it that way. Um, so this movie is one of the goofiest, weirdest things I've ever seen. It's incredibly gory. It has shout-outs to, of course, you know, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's got elements of you know Romero in there. But overall, it is just a group of people that grew up like making movies. They had this show, this like access television show. They always made movies, and it was just, like two groups of people coming together that made this show, and then he decided to make a movie. And 
you have that. I think that I was drawn to this movie. Well, I'm drawn to like early like Peter Jackson because it's like a group of people coming together to make something they love. Like Murder Party is another one that I felt that in. Like this group of people coming together to make it make it happen. The Jeremy Sonnier movie, Murder Party, his first film. I feel like there is a certain amount of energy about these movies where you can tell they're having so much fun and it, it comes off the screen. It's insane. It's ridiculous. It's gross. It's it's just pure insanity. And all those movies have this like fun to them, this this try hard quality that they're a hundred percent serious and they don't you know they got their freebie right. They got their one there. They got all their friends there for free. Everybody's there trying their hardest, and this is the one they're going to put it into. And I really feel like it's in this. And, and it's just the jokes are so funny. They're outdated, of course, but I could quote this whole movie. I hope it tastes good. You got it all over the corn squeezes, otter ass. I'm sorry, Daddy. I told you to call me Ellie Mae. There's so much shit in here. A lot of outdated gay jokes, of course. Like I said, it's in the style of that South Park silly shit. Um, uh, there's a character in here named Fern Mertz. <laughs> he says a really heavy really guy and he's just so full of energy and all the stuff he does is so funny he's like you said your steel's no good yourself there but you said fur merch your steel's no good it's just I, I can't I cannot get across to how quotable and stupid this fucking thing is every line in it is hilarious and um there's one scene in this film so there's essentially basically <laughs> an ice cream man right but he's the tobacco man because we're stereotyping stereotyping rednecks or whatever and so you hear the bell and basically this this guy wearing a potato sack shows up and his face is all melted underneath and he sells the boys tobacco dip and he has this giant monologue and it's just the scariest goddamn weirdest thing ever it's out of like an acid trip or something and he's like that what it'll be boys what it'll be it'll happen and he just goes in this whole tirade about like getting face cancer and it, you could tell that's what happened to him and it is by far one of the funniest weirdest most uncomfortable scenes i've ever seen I just love it to death. But uh, no, like, there's just, like I said, the gore is insane too. Like, it just gets over the top. And the guy, the zombie here, um, I think it's Jethro, um, when he gets turned, he just is an animal. There's a scene where he dips his face in a puddle. Um, the sound effects are over the top on purpose, like, and, and they don't overuse them. Like, occasionally there'll be one, but it, it gets me every time. The sucking the eyeball out of the skull, boom! just laugh out loud every time the movie is as a direct correlation to my funny bone it's immature it's outdated it's offensive i just can't help it it's just demented too it really is and i'm a demented guy um i love this damn thing it looks as good as it's gonna look i mean it is it's shot on analog but as far as the special features there's some good stuff in here okay so newly transferred and restored from the best archival tapes presented in fully uncut original director's edit with the following sound options brand new audio commentary with producer ed bishop director pyracuse loons lead actress lisa m d haven and archival commentary track with the producer and director brand new critical commentary track with dreams branscombe and nick vance of the cinema void podcast isolated score the score is fucking amazing by the way i just uh, redneck there's all these sorts of funny songs they wrote for it alternate 20th anniversary edit of redneck zombies that's 90 minutes sweet redneck mem memories 83 minutes that's great because like i didn't know anything about this as many times as i watched this movie i didn't know the history i didn't know where these guys ended up i didn't know exactly who they were i didn't even know ellie may was pierre case loons i didn't know that was a director i knew the director's name but i didn't know he played ellie may he's fucking hilarious 
Um, and and uh, so and we have a making of documentary from 2023. This is the making of here from 2023, the interviews and cast and crew. Unfinished archival making of documentary, 14 minutes. Deleted scenes, 20 minutes. Outtakes, 43 minutes. A scene from Crabtown, USA, a 1986 local cable access show that was a precursor to Redneck Zombies, 3 minutes. That's very funny. And Memorum, we have uh, some deaths, unfortunately. Uh, archival interviews, director Procure's Loons, producer Ed Bishop, associate producer William E. Benson, uh, co-producer Bill Decker, set mother Sandy Bishop, composer Adrian Bond, actors Lisa M.D. Haven, actor Alex Loons, actor Bucky Santini, miscellaneous crew Jeff McKinstry, actor Tyrone Taylor, actor Martin J. Wolfman. Multiple trailers, original Troma, Transworld Entertainment, Universal, uh, Reversible Sleeve Artwork, English uh, subtitles there. So if you ain't never seen Redneck Zombies and you like cheap, weird, goofy, silly, offensive movies, this is a must. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. The movie's got five stars from everybody or one star. I'm a five-star kind of guy for Redneck Zombies. There we go. All right, we're going to hop into those 1981 movies. Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world. Live on and on 
And no one will know As the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago In this little town When the 14th comes round There's a silence and fear in the air Remember the morn That the legend was born All the shock and the horror was there Or oh, the legend they say On a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know As the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago And no one will know As the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago Okay, so these are kind of bizarre ones here, two Japanese ones. And let me say let me say this right. So we have Dr. Unchunknoko's Whore Theater. And this is weird. This is on DVD, and I don't know if all these shorts are originally from 1981 or not. I think they are. So this is the director of Legend of the Starbust Brothers, which is a really fun movie from 85. So this is a 100-minute uh, compilation video. Some of it's anthology, some of it's not. So these look like they're shot on film, most of them. Maybe some of them are not. I don't know. The quality's not great. I used AI subtitles, so the subtitles ain't great either. So, hey. So, this is a weirdish smorgasbord. Some of the shorts are a minute, some are five minutes, some are ten minutes. Nothing's really that long. So, we have a hundred minutes of those. I can't remember every single short in here. But in the opening, we have this kind of person introducing everything, and they're kind of like, I, I, and they're saying all these things. Um, it reminds me of a bit of the guinea pig movie where they had the host. I can't remember which one that is. Um, is it let me die. Was it the uh, the devil woman, devil miss woman, whatever one had the host, right? And they kind of explain these stories like that. It's it's more like the anthology guinea pig film. So, but not, I just mean as far as the host is concerned. So they break it down and just start talking. Like, and essentially the shorts range from you know, uh, you know, haunted objects, a haunted book, a haunted mirror, all sorts of just bizarre, weird things like that. Um, and then they also range to super goofy stuff that feels like it's right out of a Santo movie where he's wrestling mummies and zombies and shit like that. And But that's a lot of them just running down the street and like having somebody in a Frankenstein outfit or a mummy outfit, but like, Arr! just all sorts of zany weirdness where you can see, yes, that's Legend of the Starbrush Brothers for sure, but then you'll see some more horror-oriented ones that are a little bit creepier, like uh, a couple going in to make out in this kind of under this little bridge and then getting locked in there and there's something in there with them um that stuff is scary like all these are so short um they just genuinely set up one scare and just pay it off overall it's interesting it's cool to see like this director's entire like little short filmography before he made like a feature-length film um and it's also interesting to see these japanese shorts to be honest uh like student films basically or just like stuff like that because it, it's kind of rare to see any of that Honestly, I mean, I, I know Meatball Machine had a short before it was made, um, a 45 minute short, I think, but uh, I'm not too familiar with that. I know, I mean, like, I've seen, like, I'm not too familiar with a lot of the direct to video, like, really cheap, low budget Japanese stuff shorts that were made before the movies were actually made. You know, I know it was like the guinea pig movies and a lot of those movies and entrails of a virgin, but like, and this is early too. Like, right? Because we're looking at, uh, in terms of 1981, like, Japan wasn't putting out that much horror movies. Like, we have a couple from this year, but there are a lot of them are mysteries or ghost stories. Yes, a couple. And not many. But a lot of them, the Katsu erotic films that border on horror. Not necessarily horror. We don't really start getting into horror until we see, like, the guinea pig movies in the mid-80s. 
So, like, seeing some of this stuff that is kind of like the ghost story, the haunted book, the haunted things like that, these objects that attack, these monsters, or they stalk the streets or something like that, you know, the killers, and, and like, a, there's, like, a, a almost like a Texas Chainsaw-style killer at one point, too, in here. It's it's different. It's unique. And I, I don't think there was too much of it around, or not much of it around for uh, us to see uh, over here. But anyways, uh, Dr. Anchanako's Horror Theater, interesting look, if you can find it, um... If you can get AI subtitles as well, maybe check it out. It's about 100 minutes. Uh, there is a DVD. If I saw the DVD, I would buy it. Why not? But yeah, interesting. Okay, here's another one. Zoom Up Sexual Crime Report. Now, the Zoom Up films, there's a handful of these made from 1979 to like the early 80s. Not all of them are horror. Not all of them are even kind of darker. Some of them, I think, are even comedies, to be honest. So this one leads more into the horror territory. I think 1979 Rape Site, I have watched, and that one's definitely horror. This one is kind of a horror film in a lot of aspects. Um, I had to do AI subtitles. Not great as well. So I don't know how much we're going to keep doing these AI subtitles. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're, sometimes they're okay. Sometimes they're dog shit. Sometimes they're great here, and then shit, 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 great. So here's what we get. So essentially, there's this woman who's getting ready to get married, which is a very common thing in a lot of these Japanese movies, right? She's getting married, and then she get raped, and then you know she has to hide it because her husband will disown her. It happens a lot of these Nakatsu movies. It's like a it's like a thing, it's dishonor and everything like that, uh, the rape and the shame, all that kind of things like that. So this woman, she's getting ready to be married. She seems very happy on her way home. She gets into it with this motorcycle gang on the road. Um, she is gang raped by four of them. Um, they don't show everything, but they do show some, and then they come back and show it later. And then uh, she kind of goes to this this house to meet like her boyfriend or, or her fiance, and she's really leery about you know, sleeping with them, obviously, because something tragic just happened to her, and she's just kind of not feeling very good about the whole thing, right? Um, and as it progresses, like things start to get weird. He leaves the house. There is some police outside. The police are outside. Um, they're coming for me because I'm watching pervert movies like Zoom Up Sexual Crime Report, but. Um, so essentially what happens is she, uh, she, the husband leaves and she's left with the, uh, the maid of sorts or somebody who's working there and she starts to bring in friends and these friends look awfully familiar to her and they end up being some of the rapist bikers. And as it goes on, we learn that not everyone is who they say they are. Uh, there's some ploys, there's some plots and there's a lot of sexual degradation. There's a lot of, you know, molestation. And, uh, by the end of the movie, you just feel really bad for her. It's very similar to the other one, you know, where the guy kidnapped her from this year and had her in the basement and was using her as a sexual object. So many of these kind of, uh, these zoom, these Nakatsu films follow this kind of tradition of, you know, uh, Rape. Yeah, the tradition of rape. That sounds so fucking bad. Uh, basically, the trope of, you know, this woman being kidnapped, forced against her will, manipulated, all these kind of things. But the ending here, I think, has a decent payoff. Overall, Zoom Up Sexual Crime Report is, is worth watching if you're into the Nakatsu erotic films. I can't think of the one I watched a couple weeks ago that had the same vibes. That's the problem, too, is they all have similar names. They all have similar stories. They And, and there's a couple that stand out, like Sex Hunter stands out. Right. Or or zoom up rape site stands out or, you know, hunting beautiful women uh, star, star uh, that stands out because some of them just cross that line. Um, white rose, white campus rose and everybody gets raped. Some of them are just like, I can't believe they're fucking doing this. So they stand out. Uh, a lot of them are just kind of like this where they're like they're gross and fucked up, but they're all just kind of in the same vein. So, yeah, this one is all right. Um, if you're a completist, uh, then maybe check it out. Um, there is a lot of dialogue, and the subtitles are AI, so they're not great. Okay, the next one here is a Patreon pick by Tyler Tadeo, and he picked Exotica. 
and I didn't know too much about this movie. This is an early 90s film. And I put this in, and I saw the cast, and I was like, it's a good, strong cast. I mean, and I saw um, Elias Cotes. That's the name that stood out to me. And I was like, this is, like, I don't know the director. I just didn't know much about this film. And right in the beginning, we have, like, Leonard Conan on the soundtrack. And I'm like, oh, we got some good music. We got a strip joint. We got some sexual stuff. We got full frontal nudity. I was like, this looks really horny. This looks very mid-90s thriller kind of sexual. Somebody staying up late at night and rubbing one off to this kind of deal. So that's what I was kind of getting the vibe up so and it's a little better it's a lot better than i would say probably but so we have this the stripper who is always dressed as a schoolgirl. as cotez is kind of the guy who uh, is that behind the dj booth and announces them and gives them their introductions and all these kind of things and he's a little off he's obviously obsessed with her he is uh entangled in a relationship with the strip joint owner and basically was forced to impregnate her for whatnot these weird reasons and at the same time we have this insurance guy who does insurance claims who goes to the strip joint all the time he seems very flustered very upset he constantly is visiting his brother and his niece and he has had a tragedy in his life of course you can tell and at the same time we have a guy who's uh, I think he's a foreign guy and he is running an exotic pet store but he's also smuggling in shit and the insurance agent is looking into his life to figure out what the fuck is going on how you're like why are all these different people they're all going to intermingle it's all going to come together and it's all going to be pretty decent so as the movie progresses we start to learn more and more and we start to lean towards violence like we're going to have this giant violent act in the film we're having these breaking points we're having all these kind of issues Issues, and we learn a lot about the characters and we keep flashing back to these past moments and you think there's gonna you don't really never register what they're doing it for maybe just background character but this is one time where like you could say that went nowhere but this in a lot of movies it never does this really is the payoff those little flashbacks of character development are actually the major payoff into the end of the film really in a way um, because they kind of build to something that never happens but you don't want it to happen but you expect it to happen but it really doesn't Elias Cotes kind of was on a run in the 90s you know he's an underrated actor I would say I always thought he was good I mean Casey Jones from Ninja Turtles but of course in 1990 he also did the remake of Desperate Hours you know the um the uh, geez, uh, Michael Cimino film uh, which was the remake of the Humphrey Bogart movie that Bogart movie is better but he's he's probably one of the best part in the movie I think he's probably the best performance to be honest in that remake and then of course he would later pop up and crash in 96 so like this is in between that this is like 94 95 and he's solid in it and he has some good dialogue the stuff he says is disturbing because he's talking about this like is the girl who's acting underage and all these kind of things and you you're, you're always worried that the movie's going to go real dark into a sexual like pedophile thing and you don't really want it to go there but uh, i was i was kind of like happy it didn't go there just because i really i was like i don't know it's uncomfortable as shit but uh there's plenty of nudity a good soundtrack it looks good it looks solid there's plenty of interesting storylines um the the one character is a smuggler as definitely like a homosexual and as like going into that aspect and you're sort of like watching this character like, just go for it like the whole time but uh Overall, I think it's a good movie. I never really heard about it, so it was nice. It was a nice watch. I, I enjoyed it. I would probably watch it again or, or check out the director's other work. But yeah, that is Exotica, the name of the. Hopefully, I'm saying that right. It is just Exotica, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I wrote it down, but that's the name of the club. So good stuff. Uh, I think it's a Canadian film, is my guess. I would say so. All right, let's get these questions, comments, concerns. Bad brains, whore. Joe Bigos movie you mentioned. VFW. Always great stuff from you, Dave. Happy holidays. Ordered Mad God from Phil Tippett. Thanks for the recommendation. Mad God's insane. I need to pick up one myself. Oh uh, yeah, VFW. My brain is 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 
doo-doo brain. Uh, Film Wolf, hey Dave, Bloodsucking Freaks, a real VHS uh, rental memory of once it kicks in watching the film with one eye on the door thinking, if mom walks in right now, I'm dead. Same with I Spit on Your Grave. Two nasty films she let me rent as a teenager but had no idea what they contained. I legitimately think the guy who played Sardou is pretty great. He definitely would have played well in a John Waters film. No doubt. Tipsy Bones, which box set is better for you, Savage Guns or Blood Money? I'm going to look right now because I can't remember what's in Blood Money. I completely forgot to look for you, but I'm looking. So this is killing time. Where is Blood Money? So that's the thing is, I can't remember if this one has uh, Massacre Time in it. See, that's the problem with the box sets, the the Western ones. So Blood Money, um, Vengeance is mine. Uh, I'm going to have to give it to the uh, Savage Guns because that Savage Guns has um, the Fulci for the Apocalypse in it. And four of the apocalypse is the cream of the crop of those. So I'd go Savage Guns just for four of the apocalypse. But that's me. Overall, all four films? Hard to say. Um, then we have Hudson. I don't know if anybody else does this, but when I'm watching your updates on my 50-inch TV, I keep tilting my head to read the VHS uh, titles of your VHS collection behind you. Do you still collect them? And would they be the first to go if you needed space for new Blu-rays and 4Ks? Do you keep everything, even movies you don't like? I have a good one. I don't. I, I don't keep like if I upgrade a Blu-ray and or a 4K and it has all the features. I don't keep it. I might even get rid of some of the DVDs um, that I've upgraded, even if there might be a missing feature. Just can't keep it all. I would not get rid of the VHS at this point in my life, just because it would be a pain in the ass to sell them, and you'd have to go through everything and make sure there's no mold, and you'd have to do so much stuff. Um, and some of them are probably worth quite a bit. I don't collect VHS anymore. I used to collect them when I didn't have, when you couldn't get them on DVD and Blu-ray. I gave away so many good VHS that probably be worth thousands of dollars now. Before I, you know, this was at the time when I upgraded, I'd give them away. I probably gave away all the Friday Thirteenth, all the Halloweens, all sorts of shit. You know what I mean? Like that stuff really wasn't worth dog shit after the DVDs and Blu-rays when you were a kid. They were selling for pennies. But I would collect stuff that didn't have releases. And that stuff's still worth some amount of money, right? But that's what I would do. Um, and then we have... Um, oh, Simpsons Guy 360. Which cut of Zombie Holocaust do you prefer? i never seen the Dr. Butcher MD cut. Got the, got to pick up that Bloodsucking Freaks 4K. The movie has been on my watch list for ages, and I've never watched it. Also, I love a top ten of your favorite releases of the year. I think I'll do that, if I remember. Uh, go with Zombie Holocaust cut. Better music. Longer, gorier. Uh, the Nick Mua from Belgium. Though we seem to be heading from a dystopian future, I can't help but love a dystopian future features. So that Green, Terry Gilliam's Brazil, uh, uh, Powell's 1984, both the John Hurt and Peter Cushing versions. I find myself reveling in the despair of these pictures. The Warriors is one of the same mold, it would appear. I'll have to pick it up, especially after your enthusiastic review. I wouldn't say dystopian. I would say basically it feels like a dystopian. It's not like the end of the world has happened, but it feels like it's about to. I was already thinking of acquiring it uh, after Macaulay Culkin gave it a five-star review on Red Later Media. But you've convinced me, sir. Mac ain't got nothing on you. <laughs> Thank you. Do you think we're heading for a dystopian society? Are we already in one? I mean... Who's to know? Everybody always thinks that society's going to end um, when they're alive, but who really knows that? This is me plugging this in so I can save some battery if I can even get around this. This is me live. You see that? There we go. <laughs> I didn't want to lose it. Yeah, but as far as dystopian society is concerned, I don't know. I hope not, but it always feels that way. I'm a cynical guy. Don't ask me these questions. <laughs> If you were in a leader of a tyrannical government in dystopia society, how would you stay on top? With an iron feast. No, I, I wouldn't want to be on top. By then, I would be so far gone. I don't know. I really don't know. 
turn people against each other. That's what they do to us, right? You're trying to give me answers. You're trying to give me trouble. Uh, name your three out and out. Uh, name your three out and out dystopian horror movies favorite. I have no idea. Now, like when you ask questions like that, that requires so much research that I just I didn't research it. Dystopian horror movies. Like, exactly, do you mean dystopian end of the world? Um, like, I guess Dawn of the Dead would be considered, or Day of the Dead. It's going to be all Romero movies. It's all going to be zombie films. So all zombie films is basically my answer because they're my favorite. Loving those night horror 1981 videos. Please keep them coming. And remember, 2 plus 2 equals 5 because Big Brother's always right. Yep. Kentucky, Kentuckinator, 3942. Huge slam of Wizard of Gore out of nowhere. And I'll do it again. And I'll do it every day. Fuck Wizard of Gore. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, Steven Hyde, your videos make me smile. Nice job. Thank you. Brian's Mask, love your videos and reviews. I was looking forward to this video. Going to sit back and eat some popcorn. Thanks for the new video. Thanks for commenting. Yeah, let's get into the update. It's quick. It's one movie. I got some other stuff coming, uh, but this time it's only one. It's The Exorcist in 4K. Good price. Wanted to watch it in 4K, the original version. Yeah, so not going to pass up The Exorcist for 15 bucks in 4K. I didn't get the giant master edition, but I'll live. I want to be okay. Um, next week, I'll probably have like five or six, maybe eh, probably about 10 titles for you for the update. But uh, yeah, let's get out of here. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Yeah.